I uh, once uh, a while ago I, I read about a bicycle race that takes place in India. Uh, a little bit unusual bicycle race. The object of this particular race was to, if you can imagine this, was to go the shortest possible distance within a specified time. Okay? So catch this idea. You're on a bicycle. You're trying to go the shortest possible distance in a, a specific time. At the start of the race, then everyone would, you know, they would queue up on their bicycles <coughs> at the line. <coughs> and when the gun sounded, all of the bicycles, as best they could, tried to stay put. <laughs> um, racers were disqualified if um, they tipped over or one of their feet, you know, touched the, the, the ground. <coughs> And so these bicyclists would, would do the best they could just simply to inch forward as little as they could um, and, and keep their bike balanced. When the time was up, uh, another gun sounded. The person who had gone the farthest was the loser. <laughs> and, and the person who was closest to the starting line in this particular race <clears throat> was the winner. Now, here was, the, here was the funny part. I, just imagine getting into that race and not knowing <clears throat> the rules of that race, not knowing what was required of you. Uh, when the race starts, you know, <clears throat> you're thinking typical bicycle race, so you, you uh, pedal as hard and fast as you possibly can, and you're out of breath, you know, you're sweating, but you look behind you and you're delighted because all the other racers are, are way back there, back at the starting line. You're going to break the record, you think. You know? um, this is fantastic. You say, don't let up. Push harder and faster and longer and longer and faster. And At last you hear that gun sound and the race ends and you are delighted because you are sure unquestionably that you are the winner, except the problem is that you're the loser <laughs> um, because you misunderstood how the race was to be run. You and I have been called as Christ's followers um, to be disciples of his, to follow Christ, to allow Christ to be our teacher, right? So that Christ would be formed in us. That's been our goal this past year, that Christ would be formed in every one of us. Wouldn't it be tragic if you ran this race called the Christian life. And we misunderstood how that race was to be run. If we, we didn't understand the, the requirements to run this race. Jesus, at the peak of his popularity, shares two parables that challenges each person in the crowd that was following him <clears throat> um, to do a reality check. This morning, I want us to do that same reality check. Jesus wanted these people that were following him to understand what was required of them in order to be one of his disciples. He tells them, you're going to have to count the cost. You're going to have to calculate the cost. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14 this morning. <clears throat> Luke chapter 14. Here in chapter 14 of Luke, we find two really brief parables in the middle of this chapter, um, in the middle of our passage this morning. 
And so we're going to look at those two parables and, and, and look at their significance. The first parable is given to us, Luke chapter 14, in, starting in verse 28. <clears throat> look with me. Luke 14, verse 28. Um, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, <clears throat> whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began and was not able to finish. <clears throat> um, Jesus, once again, as he does, typically in his parables, right, he, he draws an image um, for this crowd that they would have been familiar with. A man <clears throat> who wants to build a watchtower for uh, a vineyard that he has. And to be a success, he says, that the person must take um, uh, some time and plan out carefully uh, what that watchtower, uh, to, to build that watchtower would, would require. Uh, otherwise, <clears throat> that builder will, will begin the project and then will get halfway into it and it would, would run out of his money. A half-finished shell of a <clears throat> tower would then make that person a laughingstock to all of the neighbors. Earlier this summer, <clears throat> my wife Becky and I, um, you know, we decided to stucco two additions um, to uh, our house so it would match the, try to match as best we could the, the rest of the house. Um, and to do that, what we did <clears throat> was what we typically do these days. You know, you go out and get a couple of different bids, a number of different bids, and then we sat down with our checkbook and uh, we figured out if we could afford, actually, <clears throat> to, to go through with this project. Um, can you imagine if we had just said, um, you know what, uh, we don't care what the bid is, just go ahead and do it. And then we get to the middle of the project and, and, and we get the, the actual bill for the project and we go, oh, wait, 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 you gotta stop. <laughs> you gotta stop. Um, and, and we would leave just, you know, just the, the, the half of our project done, half of our new additions, you know, um, stuccoed and, and the rest... <laughs> completely undone. I mean, our neighbors would have, would, would have said, you know, what are the Suttons doing? You know? I mean, how embarrassing, how, how silly that would have been. Jesus' point to this um, large crowd that was following him is that, listen, you do well if you sit down and you reckon if you can afford to follow me. If you want to finish this Christian race, you need to ask what will it take to finish? What will it take? What will be required of you? Then Jesus tells a second parable, similar, but with a slightly different point. And, and that story is of a warring king. Look with me, um, starting in uh, verse 31. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a, a delegation and asks for terms of peace. <clears throat> now, this is a picture of a, of a king who finds that his, his forces are outnumbered. And before he goes to battle with the enemy king, he sits down and he calculates his chances of winning. Uh, his 10,000 men versus the other king's 20,000 men. And after calculating the cost of, uh, in terms of destruction and, and, and death and, 
and the strong probability that he will lose, he then decides to appeal for peace. The king reflects, and, and then he acts. Now, in that first parable, the first story, all the options lay with the builder, right? Do I build or not? In this second story, though, the issue is kind of forced on the king. He must make a quick choice, right? Only a foolish king would try to take on a stronger foe when he's, when he's outnumbered two to one. Jesus' point in the second parable is that you and I are one of the kings. And catch this, God is the other. Can you guess which one we are in that parable? And which one is God? Because we can never win against God. I mean, it would be um, wise, right, for us to surrender to him. Both of these parables, both of them together, are emphasizing the necessity of, of us making a careful consideration. Before we sign on, as the disciple of Jesus, what we need to do is we need to take some time and we need to count the cost. We need to calculate the cost. What will, be, uh, will being a follower of Jesus cost us? So catch what's happening in this scene, okay? Catch what's happening here when we come to this passage. There's a large crowd that's following Jesus, okay? Many of them, no doubt, have heard about his miracles. Um, you know, healing of the lame and, and the blind. Um, you know, his ability to feed 5,000. I mean, and, and they're curious. They wonder, oh, what is this guy all about? And so they've tagged on. They begin to follow him. Others, of course, have, <laughs> have listened to his teaching. And, and his teaching sounds very interesting. It's, it's kind of tickled their ears. They wonder, what's this guy all about? And they're fans. And then there are others who are not sure what's going on. But listen, they don't want to miss out. <laughs> so they, too, have joined the crowd. Um, they're, they're spectators. In today's terms, most of this crowd is full of people who have, you know, kind of just jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> Curious, fans, spectators, but not disciples, not committed followers. I got to tell you, in our churches today, I think especially here in the United States, that same temptation exists. We can so easily put an emphasis in our churches, and I think we've made the mistake here sometimes at First Free, on, on um, making Christians instead of disciples but Jesus has called us to make disciples and although being a Christian ought to be synonymous with being a disciple of Christ in our world in our society it's not a person can be a Christian and take on that label um, because they made a confession of faith without being or ever intending to be a disciple they might claim that Jesus is their, is their savior, but they have no intention of allowing Jesus to become their teacher or their Lord. And the church can so easily fill up with uh, a curious and, and the fans and, and spectators. Jesus, he turns around and he addresses this crowd of fans, <clears throat> this, this crowd of spectators and he he does this almost imaginary draws a line in the sand and he says 
to them, he says, listen, everyone, I'm not interested in a bigger crowd. I'm not sure why you're all here. But let me be clear. What I'm interested in are disciples, true, committed followers. So I want you to understand the full implications of what it will take in order to follow me. I want you to calculate the cost. He says, so what's the cost? Well, first, he tells us it will cost you your affection. Look with me up in verse 26. Luke 14, verse, well, start in 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> Pretty harsh, huh? I mean, those words are, are, are real shockers. And what does Jesus mean when he tells us that to follow him, it will require us to hate our father and our mother, our spouse, our children, our siblings, and even, yes, even ourselves? What does he mean? Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that we have to do when we come to a hard saying like this is we have to compare it to other things that Jesus has said so we can put it all in the, in the larger context. When we do that, what we see is that Jesus has commanded us, what, in other places, to honor our father and mother. We're told, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus commanded us to love your enemies. <clears throat> We're told to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love one another as Christ has loved us. So what Jesus is saying, so, so what is Jesus saying here when he tells us that to follow him, <clears throat> we must hate our mother and father and children and spouse and even ourselves? What's he saying? Well, Jesus is telling us, I think, that, that our love for him is to be so great <laughs> that our natural love for self and family pales in comparison. Let me try to explain it this way. <clears throat> Most of you know that I enjoy sports. I, I enjoy going to sports. I enjoy participating in sports of all kinds. You know, um, I, I, I love going to Twins games, you know, usually. Um, um, I, um, I, I love the, 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 the Sunday that the Vikings are playing the Packers, you know, that's always a, a, a fun Sunday. You know, I've been to different games, uh, of the Twins and the Vikings and the Wild, different uh, games, and I love, I love going. But if you were with me earlier this summer, when I had the chance to go to Wimbledon, and go to Wimbledon and walk around the grounds there at Wimbledon, and in fact, get and sit on center court watching Rafael Nadal and watching Serena Williams play, <clears throat> you would have said, in comparison to how excited he is, that Joel must hate those other sports. <laughs> I mean, I was over the top when it came to excitement sitting there at center court at Wimbledon. In a similar way, Jesus is saying, um, he, he's shocking us out of our dream world, and he's saying, do you fancy yourself as a disciple? Do you want to follow me? Well, then you must love me so much that your love for your family would seem like it's hate in comparison. 
Otherwise, don't pretend to follow me, he says. C.S. Lewis once wrote, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I've learned to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards a state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Jesus is to be our first love. Jesus says, I am to be your first loyalty. All other relationships must take second place, Jesus is saying. So here's a question for you this morning. Is Jesus one of many for you? Or is he your one and only? Think about that. Is Jesus one of many for you? Or is he your one and only? See, fans want to make Jesus one of many. And Jesus is clear, that isn't an option. Jesus is to be our priority. God doesn't want uh, our one-day-a-week affection. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life. He wants your whole mind. Jesus says, it's me and no one else but me. Second, it will cost you not only your affection, it will cost you your life. Look with me at the next verse, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, he says, cannot be my disciple. Did you catch that? The cross is an instrument of death. It was an instrument of loss. Those in the crowd that heard Jesus say this, they understood perfectly what Jesus was saying when he said, whoever does not bear his own cross. Because whenever they would see a a prisoner with a cross strapped across his back and watch that prisoner walk up the street, they knew that that prisoner was on a one-way journey and he wasn't ever going to return. (laughs) They knew they would never see that man again. They knew that he was a dead man. See, to follow Christ will require us to die to ourselves. When it comes to our spiritual life, you know, I don't think we get this very often. We tend to think, you know, I'll take the, the, the old life and, uh, and, and I'll add a little bit of Jesus in. I'll take my old life and I will, you know, I'll, I'll carry this Bible with me and, and now I, I can call myself a disciple. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not how it works. We think, hey, I'll take my old life and I'll I'll, uh, put it in church on Sunday morning. I'll I'll put church in it, include it, you know. I'll add it to it. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. We say to ourselves, listen, I'll take my old life and I'll I'll, I'll go to youth group or I'll I'll serve somewhere in the church. Um, You know, I'll I'll make that commitment. Uh, And Jesus That's not how it works. So here's another question for us. Is your relationship with Jesus one of convenience or is it one of commitment? 
Is your relationship with Jesus one of convenience? Or is it one of commitment? See, a disciple is not a person who takes their old life and just attaches some Jesus to it wherever it's convenient, wherever it fits in the schedule, you know? Um, No, discipleship requires us letting go of things. It will mean that we'll have to endure suffering because we've embraced Christ's life. Jesus is talking about the pushback and trials that you'll face because you're living out Christ's character and, and Christ's business ethics in the marketplace. He's talking about the whispers or put-downs or attacks that you'll suffer because you are listening to him instead of listening to everyone else out there. That's the cross that you'll have to bear. Linda, a first-grade teacher, tells about an, <clears throat> an interaction that she had with one of her students on the first day of school. Accustomed to going home at noon <clears throat> um, in kindergarten, little Ryan was getting things ready to leave for home when he was actually supposed to be heading off to lunch with the rest of the, of the class. Linda asked him what he was doing. <clears throat> he replied, well, I- I'm going home. Linda tried to explain to him that now that he's in, in first grade, he would have a little longer school day. He, he, she said, you go to eat lunch now with everyone else, and then you'll come back to the room, and we'll do some more work before, before you go home. She tried to explain to him. Ryan <laughs> looked up at her with some disbelief, hoping that she was kidding. Convinced of her seriousness, Ryan then put his hands on his hips, demanded, who on earth signed me up for this program? You know? <laughs> Oftentimes, as believers, I think it's easy for us to feel like Ryan sometimes, right? When we consider the Christian life. Requirements are, are daunting. Surely the Lord doesn't really expect me to forgive 70 times 7, does he? Surely God doesn't want me to turn the other cheek when someone hurts me. I mean, really? Come on. Surely God wouldn't ask me to give generously when, when, man, I got all these things that I want. It isn't long before you want to say, along with Ryan, who on earth signed me up for this program? (laughs) See, to be a follower of Jesus, not just an admirer, not just a fan, um, not just a spectator, requires bearing his cross. It'll mean putting Christ first and denying self. It means allowing him to be your teacher above all others. In fact, it requires us to surrender everything to him. Look down with me at verse 33. Look how he finishes this whole passage after these parables. Look what he says. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. Jesus says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, you can't be my disciple. Colin Smith, pastor at Orchard Evangelical Free Church down in the suburb of Chicago, shared a vivid memory Uh, about when he was a kid. His father would take him to auction sales, and his father told him, listen, um, Colin, don't scratch your nose at the wrong time, okay, son? (laughs) 
He also, Father also said, always remember this, whenever you go to an auction sale, make sure you know your upper limit price. See, I think that's a great danger for us. Is that we try to live the Christian life with an upper limit price. But Jesus does not allow us to set that. Jesus said, if you save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll keep it. See, our calling is to a life of unconditional surrender and obedience where the price is unknown. So so what is Jesus doing here as he's talking to this crowd? What what is he doing? His word sounds so harsh. In fact, it sounds more like he doesn't want anyone to become a disciple of his. Instead of encouraging us to follow him, it sounds like he's discouraging us to follow him. However, nothing could be further from the truth. Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, writes this. When Jesus talks about discipleship... It's like a mathematics teacher in high school who might say to a student, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except thou canst do decimals and fractions, thou canst in no wise do algebra. (laughs) See, it's not that the teacher will not allow you to do algebra because you're a bad person. You just won't be able to do basic algebra if if you are not in command of decimals and fractions. See, like the teacher... who wants his students to learn algebra, so he tells them what they must do in order to learn algebra. Jesus wants us to be his disciples, and so he's telling us what we must do to become one of his followers, to become one of his disciples. And the question is, does he not want us to follow him? The question is, are we prepared to follow him? Have we counted the cost? And after we calculate the cost, then he says you need to make a decision. Do you notice how in each of these parables that Jesus asked the same question? He said, will he not first sit down? (laughs) Talking about the tower builder, talking about the king. Will he not first sit down? See, after we have calculated the cost, then we need to decide. We need to sit down and reflect and then make a decision. Is it worth the cost? Again, Dallas Willard writes, but the final step in becoming a disciple is decision. We become a life student of Jesus by deciding. When we've achieved clarity on the cost, on what is gained and what is lost by becoming or failing to become his apprentice, an effective decision is then possible. But still, it must be made. It will not just happen. We do not drift into discipleship. I like that. We do not drift into discipleship. See, if I were to ask you today if you were a disciple of Jesus and you said, well, you know, I'm not really sure, then I would tell you you're not. I know that because if I asked you today if you were a pilot, you would know whether you're a pilot or not. You're either a pilot or you're not a pilot, right? If I asked you if you were a doctor or not, um, and you hemmed and hawed and said, well, kind of, sort of, maybe. (laughs) And I'd say, nope, you're not a doctor. I'm not going to go to you for surgery. Uh, I mean, you would know if you're a doctor or not. 
We would know if we were a pilot or if we're a doctor. We would know if we had ever made that decision, if, 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 if we've ever made the decision to go in that direction, if we've ever made the decision to get that training that's required for those professions. Nobody accidentally finds themselves, you know, in an operating room doing surgery. <laughs> to be a doctor or a pilot, you, you make a decision. In the same way, to be a disciple of Jesus, one day you say, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to be a follower of yours, not just a fan. I want you to be formed in me. <laughs> to follow Christ demands a careful calculation and then a complete surrender. That's what it requires. Some of you today, I don't know, I'm not sure where you're all at. Maybe as you come into this fall season, you come to Welcome Home Sunday, you know, you've been doing the church thing and Jesus is saying to you this morning, I don't want you just to be in the crowd. I don't need any more admirers, Jesus says. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I want you to come closer and I want you to make a commitment. Make a decision to be a follower of mine. Do life with me so that my life is in you and your life begins looking like mine. And listen, I got to tell you, you don't make that decision just one time. In fact, it requires a daily decision. Sometimes I, I imagine, I like to imagine that, we're, that giving our all to Jesus is like taking out a $1,000 bill and, and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord, I'm, I'm laying it all before you. We're going to be singing a, a hymn after this, following up, I surrender all. You know, I, I kind of picture sometimes, that's what it is. Take that $1,000 bill and lay it on the table. Here, it's all. I'm surrendering all. But the reality is that for most of us, I got to tell you, Jesus sends us back to the bank to cash in that $1,000 bill for quarters. And then we go through life putting out 25 cents here and we put out 50 cents here. Usually taking up one's cross isn't a, a glorious one-time moment. <laughs> no, it's done in all those little acts of obedience, 25 cents at a time. I mean, it'd be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's much harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul and finishing strong. Finishing the race. And I got to tell you, the invitation hasn't changed. <laughs> Jesus still says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Anyone, whoever. My favorite word in that invitation is that word, anyone. No matter what your story is, no, no matter what you've done, this is a relationship Jesus wants to have with you. Anyone. Whomever. Anyone who has laid awake uh, in bed and thought, I would give anything to undo what I've done in the past. Anyone who has looked at themselves in the mirror and said, I can't believe what I've become. Anyone. An invitation's there. Anyone's an all-inclusive term. Anyone means everyone. Anyone means me. It, it means you. <laughs> Are you ready? 
Have you counted the cost? Have you made the decision to follow Christ? Have you made the decision to make him your teacher? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your work you have begun in all of us, the work you are continuing to do. We thank you that as you chip away at us, we can know that you are making each of us into your masterpiece. We thank you that you are forming Christ in us. I want to thank you for these here this morning who are in partnership with me. Might we continue to defend and confirm and share your gospel and make your name great. Might we continue to grow in our Christ-likeness as followers of yours. This morning on this Welcome Home Sunday, we also pray for our Creekside friends, our volunteers. We pray for our Velocity youth leaders. We thank you for them. We thank you for the commitment that they have to use their gifts to impact our children and students. And Father, we ask that you would be with them this next school year. This morning again, we want to declare for all to hear that you are our Father. You are our Creator. You have made the wonders of the heaven and the earth, and you've made the amazing details of each one of us. You indeed are the potter. And so again, we ask that you would work in us each day. Might we reflect more and more of your character. Might Jesus Christ, your son, be formed in each one of us. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.